Tonight on Throwback Thursday, as Tune FM celebrates 50 years, 1989. The death toll from this afternoon Sheffield Soccer Stadium disaster stands at 93, all of them Liverpool football fans. And 22 of the 200 injured are tonight in intensive care. The worst disaster in British sporting history happened at the start of the FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. We look at something that's definitely impacted your life, the introduction of Hex, as well as the Hillsborough disaster in England and the Tiananmen Square protests in China. Good evening. We all knew it couldn't go on forever, but no one thought it would come to this. A brutal massacre of Chinese students and other protesters by the Chinese army. The death count goes on tonight, and it is at least in the hundreds. It may go as a high as a thousand or more, and the fighting is not yet over. All that and more on this episode of Throwback Thursday 1989, helping June celebrate 50 years. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Throwback Thursday. My name is Jake, and as usual, I will be your host as we... Uh, take a look through the year 1989 for the next half an hour or so and talk about some of the most significant events that happened in that year. It was a very big year. It was pretty hard to pick some events to talk about for this one, but I've picked three that I think are uh, going to be rather interesting too, that were very significant events that I'm sure people who were around in 1989 will remember. And then one that I know has definitely impacted your life as a university student or perhaps a university lecturer or staff member or someone involved in university. We're going to be starting off with that one, talking about the introduction of HEX, which was introduced under the Hawke government back in 1989. Uh, and then we'll be talking about two events from overseas, which I'm sure you will all remember the tragic Hillsborough disaster and, of course, the Tiananmen Square protests. But we will get underway with uh, looking at HEX. What exactly is HEX? Well, when you attend university or any other approved higher education provider, such as uh, TAFE or, or something like that, you can get a HEX loan to pay for your studies, uh, which you will then pay back to the government uh, once you are earning enough money to be able to do so. Uh, it was introduced, of course, by the Hawke government back in 1989. As we know, Labour governments around that time um, were rather keen on making education as accessible as possible uh, to the broader public. The Whitlam government actually made university free. That was undone then by uh, the Liberal government that followed, the Fraser government. So the Hawke government uh, made it essentially... Uh, free at first, and then you pay it back later, a slightly uh, more acceptable compromise for the, the Liberal National Coalition of the time. So currently, how does it work? I, I know that's a question that I had when I first started at university. Hex was a bit scary because it seemed like, um, okay, I'm going to go thousands of dollars into debt to the government. That seems a bit scary. That seems a bit off. What's going on there? So we're going to break it down exactly what it is. Hex is essentially a loan. Um, just like you might get a loan from your bank and then pay it back later. Um, a bank normally will add interest onto a loan like that. So if you get like a $100,000 loan, you might end up paying back $120,000 by the end of it, depending on interest rates, um, as, you, as you slowly pay back the money that you've been loaned. But HEX doesn't have interest. Uh, HEX is basically a loan to cover your tuition costs. It doesn't co cover your costs like accommodation, laptops, or, or textbooks or anything like that. It's essentially the cost of your tuition is covered by the government, 
um, so that when you are out in the world and you've got your education and you've got a, a higher paying job, you will then pay that money back to the government. To be eligible for HECS, you have to be in a Commonwealth-supported place. So basically, uh, pretty much you have to be an Australian citizen or, or meet the residency requirements. You have to study at least part of your course here in Australia. You could be a New Zealand special category visa holder, uh, a humanitarian visa holder, uh, those sorts of things. But basically, you need to be studying in Australia. Um, you can borrow money from the government up to a certain loan limit to pay your tuition fees. And once you uh, begin using it, the amount that you have left to borrow left to borrow is known as your available balance. So for 2020, the limit is $106,319. You can borrow all the way up to that mark, which that's a lot. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of money. Um, you can do quite a bit of, um, you can do quite a bit of study for 106 grand. Um, but if you plan to study something like medicine, dentistry, or veterinary science, uh, or eligible aviation courses, it's actually up to $152,000. So uh, even more uh, to make up for the fact that your, your courses will be slightly more expensive. Um, so this was a really, really good introduction by the Hawke government. Uh, it, it essentially makes university far more accessible. Uh, as I said, $106,000 is, is very high. That's that's, that's a lot of education that you can get for that amount of money. So it won't cost you that much money over the course of a, a stock standard degree if you're just doing the one degree over the course of four years. But it is still very expensive. It costs you several grand per trimester or semester if you're at another university uh, to study at, at somewhere like UNE. Um, and that's that's how much is coming out of your, of your hex debt. Now, that's where it starts to get scary for some people. And so this is where we need to, uh, to break it down. Um, people think, okay, well, I don't have to pay that now. And that's great. That means I can afford to go to university up front. But what happens when the government wants that money back? Well, that's where the, the Hawke government's uh, proposal is actually very excellent. So instead of it being like a loan from a bank where eventually the bank is going to go, hey, start paying us back. We need all of this money now. We need all of it now. You need to start paying it back. Um, the, the government doesn't start demanding your hex debt from you until you hit a certain threshold of how much you're being paid. So once you hit a certain wage or a certain salary, uh, then they will start to charge you. And only in small increments at a time, uh, they will start to charge you for uh, your hex debt. So it is only once you've got a job that means you can afford to pay back that debt a little bit at a time that you have to start paying back that debt a little bit at a time. So that's the genius of the system. And the reason that it was it was so important is that, of course, Australia, generally speaking, we're quite a rich country. We're quite a prosperous country. Most people in Australia live in, in some sort of relative comfort and wealth. But crucially, that's most people in Australia. That means that under an old system where you just have to pay for your university up front, that means that those people who do not fit into that category, who don't live in some sort of relative comfort or wealth, could never have any hope of getting a tertiary education. And therefore, they never really have very much of a hope of getting themselves out of that situation. They're permanently stuck 
in uh, this situation of poverty because not only are they poor and living below the poverty line, they then cannot afford to get the education that they need to get a good enough job to get themselves out of that situation. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that even those people who are living you know, in relative comfort and their parents are, are, are quite well off, university is still very expensive and the jobs that you can get straight out of school, such as working at a grocery store or at a, at a fast food restaurant or as a waiter or, or a bartender or whatever you're doing, they don't pay very highly. So to pay several grand a year to go to university is just not possible unless you've got parents who are pretty much helping you out. So the problem that the Hawke government saw, and it's a problem that Labour governments right throughout the, the latter half of the 20th century and up till now have seen, is that Tertiary education or higher education was always set up to only be available to the rich, to those whose parents were affluent enough that they could afford to spare several grand a year to send their kids to university. So it's it's this wonderful setup that we've got. And we're very lucky to have it in this country uh, that makes university accessible to anyone who wants to get that tertiary education to make sure that they can um, then get a higher paying job and then pay that debt back. Now, of course, uh, we can't talk about HEX and talk about HEX in 1989 without talking about the changes that are coming in now in 2020. Of course, there are changes to course fees that are coming in. Um, some courses are being made cheaper while others are being made more expensive. Uh, it's part of the coalition government's uh, move to uh, push more people into sectors where we need more people employed, such as uh, uh, computer sciences and that sort of thing, um, while pushing people away from areas that they don't see as crucial, such as the arts, um, which is rather concerning for people who are studying in those sectors. Um, the other changes that are being made is that, um, and, and, and crucially to HEX, is that HEX will no longer become available to a student after who fails the majority of their units in the first year. Now, this is the controversial one, and I know that I personally am quite on the fence about it. The reason that they claim they want to do that is that if you have a student who clearly is struggling with the university setup, clearly uh, probably isn't going to succeed at university, maybe won't even finish their course then you put them in a really difficult situation if they're going to drop out in a year or two anyway and they're going to drop out and also be $12,000 in debt to the government for a, an education that they didn't even get. So that's the worry for the government. The worry, of course, for students is that puts a whole lot of pressure on my first year of university that I have to pass all my units and get everything done Otherwise, I have to pay for this education up front, which I, of course, cannot afford to do. So I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about those changes. Um, is that the right thing to do? Are, are, are the government right in saying that uh, it's, it's better off that we don't put students who aren't going to succeed in a situation of being in debt to the government? Or is HEX the platform that provides those students with the opportunity to go out there and improve themselves and educate themselves and end up in a position where they can pay that back that debt to the government? Um, what do you think?
We're going to go to a song break here on 106.9 Tune FM. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Hillsborough disaster in England, which took place in 1989. So uh, we'll be right back very shortly. This is Love Shack by the B-52s, a great song from 1989.
Love Shack by the B-52s. Welcome back to Throwback Thursday 1989 here on 106.9 Tune FM. And we're going to be taking a little bit of a uh, more tragic tone now as we move on to our second event that took place in 1989, which is the Hillsborough disaster. Of course, uh, rather famous uh, incident that took place in an English football match in 1989. One that's definitely very... Um, uh, unfortunately mourned in England, but maybe not as well known around the world. So um, as an English football fan, uh, I'm going to kind of break down exactly uh, what happened and why and what the organizers of the event uh, did wrong. So essentially this took place at an FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest on the 15th of April, 1989. They were playing it at the neutral venue, which is the Hillsborough Stadium in Sheffield. Um, and it was... It was it was quite a well attended game, obviously being the semi final of uh, of an FA Cup, um, and between two of the biggest teams in England at the time, Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. Um, now, essentially, uh, what happened was, uh, I'm sure that you've been to a stadium. Uh, we we have Bankwest Stadium here in Australia, or if you've been overseas, you've probably seen plenty of them as well. It's particularly popular in football or soccer, as we as we might call it. Um, to have standing sections, and now we have now we have safe standing, which is designed to prevent these kinds of, of incidents from happening. Uh, but it's a standing section where where fans who like to jump up and down and celebrate uh, can all uh, come in, and generally the tickets tend to be slightly cheaper. Um, now there used to be a lot larger standing sections, and they were not as well designed as what they are in stadiums today. Uh, they were essentially these big pens. Um, with fences around the outside to stop um, people from spewing over onto the pitch or into other areas, particularly in England. Of, of course, you might be aware that they had a big problem with um, hooliganism between uh, fans of different teams, uh, where, the, where particularly particularly groups of fans would uh, break out into fights or violence. Um, so they also had fences between the sections to stop the fans from different teams from spewing over into each other and, and starting anything. Um, so, so there were essentially these big pens, uh, that people could stand in. Um, now the first thing that the, the managers or, or the, the people running the event at Hillsborough stadium did wrong is that they started the game. They, they insisted on starting the game on time, despite the fact that the crowd were still bustling to enter the stadium. Of course, this was a really big event. Um, there'd been really big crowds and, and security and all that. It had a really hard time getting them all into the stadium and checking all their tickets and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they were all in a really big rush to get to the game. They, they were all in a really big rush. And it there was talks about how bad the traffic was. There was talks about how... Um, the, how bad the the overcrowding was outside the stadium. Um, and there were calls from security to say, okay, delay the kickoff because otherwise all of these people are going to get a little bit frantic. They're going to want to get in um, and th they're going to realize that they're missing the first part of the game. So we need to delay the kickoff. Um, unfortunately, the game organizers refused to do so. The second thing that they did wrong was that they overcrowded the central pens of the stand. Um, there was, uh, unfortunately, 
they they pushed they put an influx they opened another exit gate uh to try and cope with the crowds that were out now of course all bustling to get into the stadium and there was suddenly an influx of even more supporters into the pens it crowded and it crowded and it crowded and all of a sudden there was a bit of a human crush essentially it was so crowded that um people people at the front of the pen were crushed up against that fence that I talked about earlier that stops them from um, from flowing over onto the pitch um, by the people getting basic, basically forcing themselves into this standing pen in the stadium. Unfortunately, 96 people ended up losing their lives uh, because of this crush. Uh, 94 of them died uh, on the day. Two more died in hospital later. There were 766 injuries uh it was a, a massive and horrible horrible incident um and it is labeled uh the worst disaster in a british sporting history uh this massive crush uh suggesting that uh there were suggestions that hooliganism and drunkenness by liverpool supporters uh had also caused the crush that is what had caused some of the crowd to kind of stampede forwards and and push people up against the fences there wasn't there was an inquest from a coroner ruling all of the deaths uh accidental and that there was not enough evidence to suggest that any individual or group was particularly to blame there were mistakes that had been made but uh none of those was uh deemed uh, either deliberate or bad enough to have uh, to have been labelled the cause of the incident. Um, a second inquiry in uh, 2014 to 2016 actually overturned that decision. Uh, they ruled that police and ambulance services failed to fulfil their duty of care at the stadium at the time. And they also found that the design of the stadium contributed to the crush. Now, obviously, uh, that kind of design of stadium with with those pens was quite uh, common in England at the time. Um, Hillsborough obviously led to that being changed. Um, that led to uh, if there are standing segments in stadiums nowadays, they are safe standing. They have a barrier in between each row, and they they um, you, you'll see it at um, Bankwest Stadium if you ever watch it. Uh, watch a Western Sydney Wanderers game. Uh, they've got that where it's uh, there's essentially rows with a barrier in between. Uh, each row to stop people from stampeding forwards. Um, there's, uh, it's it's quite common in Europe as well to have that kind of thing. But essentially, right throughout the world, those kinds of pens were basically eradicated because of this this horrible disaster. Uh, it led to, of course, the game being stopped um, and rescheduled for another stadium at another time. Um, but yeah, it does remain the worst disaster in British sporting history, and it was in absolutely horrible horrible disaster uh, that took place uh, back in 1989 we're going to go back to another song break uh, when we come back we will be talking about the Tiananmen Square protests perhaps the biggest and most memorable event that took place in 1989 so we'll be right back this is another popular song from 1989 see if you recognize it
Tucker's Daughter by Ian Moss, an Australian song here on Throwback Thursday, 1989, here on 106.9 GNFM. We're going to finish the show by talking about arguably the biggest and most uh, remembered and probably most tragic incident to take place in 1989, the Tiananmen Square protests. Um, For those who were around in 1989, you, of course, know all about uh, this this tragic incident, but um, we'll 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 break it down for those who uh, who were not uh, aware of exactly what was going on. So, of course, back in 1989, China, uh, mainland China, was officially communist. Uh, it was a, a communist country, and there was a massive student-led democracy movement. It was a popular national movement that was going to spark protests not only in Tiananmen Square in the center of Beijing, the capital of China. Uh, but in 400 cities around China, uh, there were going to be protests on uh, the 4th of June, uh, 1989. The protests originally started on the 15th of April, but the 4th of June was famous because that that was the day that the Chinese government forcibly suppressed uh, these protests. The government declared martial law and sent the People's Liberation Army to occupy the central parts of Beijing. It became known as the Tiananmen Square Massacre, as troops armed with assault rifles and accompanied by tanks fired at the demonstrators and those trying to block the military's advance in Tiananmen Square. Of course, you'll remember the very famous photograph of the, of the man uh, standing in front of the tanks uh, entering Tiananmen Square. Estimates of the death toll vary from several hundred to several thousand, with thousands more wounded. The protests were actually originally set off uh, by the death of pro-reform Communist General Secretary Hu Hu Yaobang uh, in April 1989. Uh, There was rapid economic development in China at the time, and there was a lot of social change in uh, China uh, post-Mao Zedong, who was, of course, uh, the most famous and definitely most, uh, um, I guess, authoritarian leader of China. Uh, There were a lot of anxieties about the country's future, Uh, in the popular consciousness and among the political elite. The reforms of the 1980s had led to a bit of a market economy going on that had benefited some people but seriously disadvantaged others. There started to be this movement towards uh, wanting to have more democratic society. They wanted more freedom of the press, freedom of speech, uh, greater accountability, uh, a constitutional due process, democracy. And at the height of the protests, about one million people assembled in Tiananmen Square. As these developed authorities responded with both uh, conciliatory and hardline tactics, which exposed some really deep divisions within the Chinese Communist Party, uh, there was, uh, they started to, the protesters started to notice that uh, actually this, um, what was seen as an authoritarian government actually didn't have uh, that much unity and power um, there was a student-led hunger strike in May, galvanizing support for the demonstrators around the country, and the protests spread to 400 cities. However, some of the Communist Party elders believed that the protesters were a political threat, and they resolved to use force. The state council declared martial law on the 20th of May, 1989, and they mobilized as many as 300,000 troops to Beijing. The troops advanced into central parts of Beijing on the city's major thoroughfares in the early morning hours of the 4th of June, killing both demonstrators and bystanders in the process. The international community and political analysts, as well as human rights organizations, condemned the Chinese government for that massacre. 
Western countries imposed arms embargoes on China. The Chinese government made widespread arrests of protesters and their supporters, suppressed other protests around China, expelled foreign journalists, and strictly controlled coverage of the events in the domestic press. They strengthened the police and internal security forces, and they demoted or purged officials that were sympathetic to the protests. And more broadly, the suppression ended the political reforms. Uh, it actually had the reverse effect uh, that was that was taking place. Ever since Mao Zedong uh, had no longer been the leader, China had started to have a lot of political reform. There was a lot of movement towards democracy as opposed to pure communism. And uh, unfortunately, um, the Chinese government seized control again and halted uh, those policies, which only resumed partly after uh, Deng Xiaoping's southern tour in 1992. Um, it notably also failed to spark major political reforms um, as opposed to the Eastern Bloc protests during the revolutions of 1989. Of course, there was a lot of anti-communist uh, revolutions in the communist nations of the world at the time. The Soviet Union also not too far away from uh, completely collapsing, which we will be talking about in a few episodes time. But despite the fact that it seemed to have failed initially, uh, it is considered a watershed event because the protests set the limits on political expression in China up to the present day. It exposed uh, the not only the, um, the corruption of the Chinese Communist Party at the time, but also that there were rifts within the Chinese Communist Party. There were some people that were more sympathetic than others, and there was a lot of um, division over the, way, the appropriate way to deal um, with what was going on. So it is considered a watershed event. Uh, it is widely associated with questioning the legitimacy of Communist Party rule, and it remains one of the most sensitive and most widely censored topics in China. Uh, very, very uh, controversial over there. Of course, the Chinese Communist Party do still have power in China, although they are nowhere near as uh, as outright communist as they were uh, before in, in 1989. Uh, they now do have elections um, whether they are democratic elections, I will not, I refuse to comment. Um, but the Chinese Communist Party is still the ru ruling party there. So um, a rather tragic event, uh, but a very watershed event in uh, the history of, of that wave of democracy uh, that came over the world in the late 80s and the early 90s. And unfortunately, it did cost hundreds, if not thousands of lives. Well, that is going to end Throwback Thursday, 1989. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to join us again at the same time next week. We're into the 90s. Very exciting. We're going to be talking about a very exciting decade in the 1990s. Uh, of course, Throwback Thursday, 1990, coming up next week, uh, Friday. Uh, sorry, Thursday. I don't know why I just said Friday. Throwback Thursday on Fridays? No. Throwback Thursday next Thursday from 5 o'clock. Don't forget to join us tomorrow night as well. Jake breaks the news on from 5 o'clock and the weekly review on from 6 o'clock as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll go back to the music with Heaven by Cheat Code. Thanks for listening. <laughs>